Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the team at Project Health Monitoring. PHM provides digital solution for industry, sport and education, allowing you to focus on well-being, performance and academic engagement in real time. But more on that a little later in the episode. And welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hi, everyone. It seems that you are all playing catch up on episodes in the last two weeks. The numbers have jumped now that the year is kicking off and everyone is getting back into routine. I'm loving all the feedback on each episode. I've had quite a few listeners ask if I can do a pod on traumatic birth and recovery. So if you know someone that might be interested in telling their story to help others, get in touch. And this year, I am so pumped to announce that I'm going to be traveling and running more workshops around Australia. It seems that everyone is interested in disc profiling and understanding why people do what they do what drives behavior and how you can adjust one's own style to improve interaction and connection with those around us. So if you're looking for someone to come in and work with your team this year, I would absolutely love to have a conversation with you. Running half day or full day workshops for a group of people is one of my all time favorite parts of my job. DM or call me this week if you want to chat through options. Today, I want to introduce you to Sienna Catterall. It is hard to believe that she is only 20 years old, our youngest guest to date, yet her self-awareness, knowledge and life experience is beyond her years. Today, she so bravely speaks out about the dark cloud that started to engulf her, how she shut off from the world, her loved ones, herself. And we cover a lot in the next hour but we barely scratch the surface on her life. We talk about the moment that she noticed something was different about her mum. We talk about her experience with living with medical uncertainty, how she pushed down her sexuality and the devastating impact that had, how she's come to grips with her reality and her faith. And towards the end of the episode, she talks us through some great strategies that have helped her when she's wanted to self-harm. Sienna has a gift for bringing you along on the journey with her. She describes her situations in ways that you feel like you are right there with her. I actually had to ask her at the end of the interview if she made it in English as I was blown away by how well she spoke. I know this episode will change lives. I know someone out there today will be listening and it will help you to know that there is hope, that there is possibility, that you are not alone. There is a trigger warning on this episode for conversations around suicide, self-harm and brain cancer. So if this is not the right episode for you, skip it and we will see you next Monday or call a lifeline on 131114. 
let me introduce you to the incredibly resilient, strong young woman, Sienna. Welcome, Sienna, to Challenges That Change Us. Hey, Ollie. Thanks so much for having me. I love to start every episode with asking you what animal best describes you and what is it about that animal? Oh, I think at this moment in time, I would say an otter. <laughs> like, you know, when you see yeah. pictures of otters and they're hugging each other and paddling around in the water and they're a little bit cheeky and playful and excitable, but in the right environment. And I feel like that's me in a nutshell. And I feel like right now I'm feeling really free and and happy. It will be very interesting as we go through your story to see if you would describe yourself as an otter your whole life or whether it's only something that's come out in the last year or two. Yeah, oh, I'd have to say it's it's in the last year. Maybe even in the last, you know, 8 months. I've just kind of come into myself and found myself. And I would say before that, it was, you know, it was a really dark time. And I can't even think of an animal to describe it really. When I was younger, pre-mental illness, I would say, yeah, possibly an otter, maybe a little bit of unicorn in there. (laughs) Yeah. And we're going to talk today about the challenge. I mean, that's what we've discussed you coming on about is you you really want to share your story with the world so that you can help others. It was so beautiful when you rang the other day for the audience to know this, that you, you had mentioned one of the strategies that you'd heard on one of the earlier episodes. And I actually rang that guest and let them know that what you said to me about how much that made a difference and that you loved it and now that you want to come on. And that person was just like, oh my God, that just made their day. So, you know, it's beautiful to see this kind of circle of you listening and then being like, you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready to tell my story. Oh yeah. That just hit me so, so hard. And I was just like, wow, that's just such a great strategy. I'm going to use that in my life. And it just, it helped me so much. So it was the boat strategy where you imagine that you're in a boat and you're anchored and the water's just lapping on the sides. And I just, I just remember when I, I first kind of started doing that and it just calmed me down so much. And I'm just, I'm so, you know, I'm so thankful for, all of the different podcasts because as I listened to each one, they gave me courage and and strength to know that there are other people out there who have been in maybe, I wouldn't say similar situations, but who have been through a lot and I just really connected with them. And I'm so happy that you went and talked to him because it was just such an important podcast that one specifically for me and we're talking about the podcast with Maddie Hurrigan so big shout out to Maddie that's you know it's why we do this right we come on so that we can you know help one person out there in the world and this is your one person right here in front of us Maddie so thank you Maddie and thank you Sienna for coming on and Sienna your story will do the same for someone else I'm sure as we start to unfold over the next hour yeah I really hope so I I think that's a big thing for me I have talked about my mental illness in different situations and just having people come up to me and say, hey, it was so great that you were able to share your story because I really connected with it. And I think that's just so great to help to 
you know, release the stigma. Yeah. To help release the stigma, to help, you know, have a conversation, like start having the words and start having communicating with our loved ones and people around us, around mental health, around mental illness. Oh, it's so important. And one of the great things about, you know, organizations out there who are, you know, putting so much into, you know, helping to reduce that stigma, such as Are You Okay and Beyond Blue. And sit down and having those conversations and, you know, it it can just be as simple as, hey, are you okay? Do you want to talk about these things? You know, I understand where you're coming from and I'm here for you. Yeah, yeah. And Sienna, it might be a good place to start is around in 2011, you went traveling with your family and you, when we've spoken about this, you sort of said that's where the story sort of begins for you. Yeah, I'd have to say I wanted to kind of describe myself pre-mental illness and I'd have to say like that was such an important moment in my childhood. My beautiful parents took me and my siblings out of school and around Australia for six months and it was just such a, a freeing trip. I think when I was in Sydney, I was in this box And having, you know, that release and that, you know, that adventure. And I just remember, you know, our school wasn't just curriculum. It was homeschooling in a completely different way. It was hands-on. It was learning about culture. It was learning about Australia firsthand and about what's around us and, you know, It was outside a classroom and I was learning about the world around me and I just found it was just such an important core memory. Actually, you know what that reminds me of? Um, I absolutely love the movie Inside Out and, you know, it's about Riley and she has all these different emotions inside her head that are personified into these little characters and they're controlling how she reacts and views the world around her. And in her mind, there are also little personality islands. And she also has these core memories from small moments in her past that create her character. And I would have to say that trip around Australia was so important in creating this little spark inside me. Oh, do your parents know this? They do. I remember writing my dad a little letter for Father's Day and just saying, you know what, I am so thankful for that time that we had together as a family. You know, it was pre-breakdown of my relationship with my parents, Mm. which was really hard. And having that memory in my head of just this really happy family adventure, I think just... I still had that in my core as I went through all the challenges that I went through. So what changed for you? Yeah, so in about 2013, we moved from Sydney to regional New South Wales to start a new chapter of our lives. And I guess from a young age, I felt like really different from my family and from the people around me but you know like for me things started to change in year year eight and my world slowly 
began to spiral downwards. So I was fighting a lot of things inside of me that I had to deal with and at the time I didn't understand. I began to start cutting off my lifelines to all the things that I loved and the people that I loved. And all those little personality islands began to shut down one by one in my head. So I got myself off from the things that brought me joy, such as I loved acting and, and drama and that used to bring me so much joy and and suddenly I just decided I wasn't going to do that anymore. I loved horse riding. I remember when we lived in Sydney, I had always wanted a pet pony, Dad. I want a pet pony. <laughs> and we moved up to Armadale and I was just, you know, I was able to fulfill that dream. And we went to pony club and and all of these things. And I was just, I was loving it so much. And then suddenly my world just shut down and I stopped finding joy in that. When you say your world shut down, what do you mean by that? Like when you're saying you're stopping doing these activities, were you aware of it at the time or did you just feel this cloud of darkness come over or like what, what did that mean for you when you said your world started to shut down? There was just this dark cloud that started to come over me and at the time I didn't realise what was happening. Mm. I shut myself in my room. I kind of cut myself off from the lovely friendships and supportive friendships that I had had throughout my childhood. And, I, you know, I didn't realise what was happening at the time. Did something trigger this in the first place or was it just something that slowly happened over time? Yeah, so it was a couple of things that began to trigger it. I would say the first thing was my mum. So when I was in year six, I remember this moment when it all started and I woke up and went into the kitchen to have breakfast and my mom walked in and she didn't really act like my mom. She went in and kind of sat down and she was repeating these words over and over again. She just kept saying juice and I had no idea what was happening and it was really scary for me. You know, as someone who was quite young at the time, my dad wasn't at home. So it was just me and my, my sister at the time. And I think the first thing in my head, I didn't think to call my dad or to call, you know, triple zero. For me, I told my sister who was maybe in year two or three at the time, to stay with my mum while I took the bus into school to tell the school about it. And I don't know what was happening in my head, but I think I really trusted the people at school and I remember being on the bus and just breaking down because I didn't know what was happening to my mum. And I walked into the principal's office because she was a friend of my mum's and she was a really close family friends and I just broke down into tears and I was like my mom there's something wrong with her and I have no idea what's happening and you know what happens the next second my mom walks into the room at school and she's like Sienna what happened everything's fine and I just looked at her and I was like oh my gosh what happened and she's like Sienna Taya needed to go to school what's happening and I remember the principal just saying Justina I think we need to take you to hospital 
So that day she drove my mum to hospital and that's where it all started. I can't believe the principal picked up on that. Like I, I was nearly expecting you to say that they were like, Sienna, what's going on, you know, like why didn't you bring your sister to school? But, oh, my God, thank God the principal listened to you. I can't imagine what would have happened if, you know, if she hadn't listened to me. And as a young kid, you know, sometimes kids can make up stories or they're not as you know mm-hmm. believable or they can kind of create a bigger, you know, kind of over-exaggerate things. But I think she heard, you know, that something in my voice. Fear. It was, it was a lot of fear, you know, because when you're a child, you see your mum as someone who's perfect, as someone who, you know, nothing could ever happen to my mom. And so it was so hard to see that happen to her and watch that breakdown. And so what happened was she went to hospital and had a brain scan and later on she was diagnosed with a brain tumour, which didn't feel real at the time. And I think this is just one of the many layers that kind of began to you know, layer on top of one another to create that dark cloud that began to come over me. And so throughout the years, my mom went through about five brain surgeries and it was just, you know, every single time something could have happened to her. And this was just throughout my depression and After a while, I just started to feel numb and I didn't feel anything about it. And I hate saying that because I love my mum so much. But at the time, I was so deep into my illness that nothing really mattered around me and nothing was really Mm. happening. And I think, Sienna... It's a protection piece as well, you know. When you said you kind of glossed over you, anything could have happened with your mum, but they were life-threatening surgeries. Oh, yeah, definitely. So what happened was there was a point when my mum was, we thought she was going to lose her eyesight. And so she took a a trip over to Japan because she wanted to see that. And, you know, just my mum was about to lose her eyesight. She was going in and out of all these life-threatening surgeries Mm. and you know each time you know five different surgeries maybe a couple more I can't quite remember but each time you know there's this higher risk of what's going to happen as a child there's no way to process that you know I was not processing it that's what it was I just it kind of just went over my head Mm. and now I'm looking back at it and I've heard stories that I didn't hear as a child about different things that happened to my mom and I'm feeling everything now (laughs) and I'm so thankful to have her here. What's it like for you when you say you're feeling everything now? I mean, (laughs) I'm so thankful to have her in my life because she's such a beautiful, beautiful woman who has been so strong She is so genuinely beautiful on the inside and outside and she has supported me and been by my side through everything that I have been through, including pushing her away and cutting her off, that 
I just don't know what I would do without her. And I try to let her know that in different ways. And Sienna, I know that we haven't come on just to talk about your mum. I want to ask so many questions around that. But as we spoke about earlier on, this is a piece of the pie. You know, there's been so many components and elements that kind of have played a role in your life so far. You mentioned that dark cloud. You said what happened with your mum was part of it, but there were other parts as well. Yeah, so I guess could have kind of started off. I want to describe what I went through. So I, I, yeah, I cut myself off from the things that once brought me joy. I pushed my f- friends away and it was like a light inside me just went out. Sometimes I felt nothing and sometimes I felt everything. And that's a big part of depression. And then my relationship with my parents started to fall apart. And I began to outcast myself from my family. And in my mind, I, I turned them into villains. And my path of self-destruction began to continue. So I imagine it as this dark spiral that began to spin faster and faster down towards the ground. And it hit a point where I didn't see a future and it was all just a dark haze. And my parents were heartbroken and at a loss of what to do, but I didn't see that. And I remember one night after I was breaking down and screaming and crying, I overheard my mom say something along the lines of, that's not my daughter in there. And that's something that sticks with me to this day. And so many things happened during that time. I ran away. I cut myself. I skipped school and got in a car with someone who didn't have a license. I was reckless. I lied about things to get my family in trouble. I did things without thinking. And my mum she went back into hospital for her brain tumour and I felt like a monster trapped in a cage and I was scared that at any second I was going to hurt my family and it was like I just I had created a, a, a nest of darkness around me inside the house and that was when I haphazardly made a plan to end everything which is hard to say because at the time I was 15. Yeah. Which is very young. And I think I just, I cried out for help one last time. And thank God my parents heard me. So we sat down and talked. And I think my parents talked and thought through all of these different outcomes of what could help me and you know they listened to what I had to say and they tried to understand from my perspective what was going on and how they could help and I'm just forever grateful for that because throughout that whole thing throughout all that time pushing them away and 
you know, cutting them off and and screaming and and breaking down and all of these different things. They were always there for me. They were always supporting me. See, and I, when you're saying that, like I know your family and I like I'm in tears because of so many reasons. But firstly, it's about the little girl, you know, for you in that place. And what I'm hearing is like you didn't want to be there either, but you had no idea how to get out. Like you didn't even realise what was happening at the time. You just had all this emotion or zero emotion, but you just felt like you were caged, not because of necessarily what was happening even in the home environment, but you were potentially lashing out or acting out or, you know, pushing everyone and everything away from you so that you could not have to deal or face it yet what you then said at the end is when I got this mercy of tears, I was like, when you said those words, like one last time I reached out and someone heard you, like I just, oh, my God, like I don't even have words for that, right? I don't have words for it either. It's just it was such a hard, rough situation and having s- you know, someone listen to me and say, you know, okay, I'm here for you. You know, I was like, I have hit the ground and something is going to happen tomorrow if it isn't fixed. You know, I just don't, I didn't see a future. When I, I looked to even the day after tomorrow, I didn't see anything. It was just black. So what was different about this time? Like when you say, had you not told anyone before this moment, like why was this time different? Because I knew I was about to do something and there was this little girl inside me who wanted to live and I think she was crying out and she is so strong. She's this little light, little candle inside of me And in the darkness, she was still there. And she's still there inside of me now. Yeah. Well, she's big now. (laughs) She's She's flowing and flourishing. She is. (laughs) She's an otter. (laughs) (laughs) She's an otter who loves wearing colours and is so happy. and, And that's why I wear yellow because it makes me it's a happy color and it's like a little light and as a parent of three girls I mean selfishly because this is your story there's a part of me that's like I want to ask so much more around like how can parents help and what was it that your parents did that was so amazing and what happened next and but I'm also aware and really want to honor this space as your story but I guess there's that part and a lot of our listeners that are hearing this today are going to be thinking the same thing like what happened next so yeah when I I cried out and I was like something has to change my parents, you know, tried to understand from my perspective what was going on and how they could help. And I said, I just have to get out of the house. I have to get out of this nest of darkness that I've created. So my parents and and one of my teachers actually recommended this. We made the decision to send me to boarding school. And Boarding school ended up being five kilometres away from the house. (laughs) (laughs) So I was, it was just five kilometres down the road, but it made such a difference 
you know, being away from that mess that I had created gave me perspective. And on top of that, seeing my parents every once in a while helped me to rebuild our relationship and just have both sides just breathe and take a break and work on it together. And then I I slowly began to see the love and the support that I had around me. And it was just, you know, it was the start of a different life in a way. It's what I thought at the time. Yeah, it almost sounds like it was a circuit breaker. (laughs) Definitely. It was just, you know, just change. I think that's something that was really important. Mm -hmm. Something needed to change. I needed to get out of the house. My parents went and thought through all these different possibilities and the one that worked for me was, was boarding school because I was still close to them. I was, you know, only just down the road. I could visit them when I wanted to. And we were able to put the pieces back together. So I just wanted to speak about my situation as openly as possible. But there are so many different pieces to my story that it's it's hard to kind of wrap it up in an hour interview. So you know, another really important piece to my puzzle was my sexuality. So around the time when I was in this dark headspace, I was probably around 14, the friendship that I had created with my friend at the time manifested into a relationship. So I had grown up in a Christian family and At church, I had grown up hearing that homosexuality was a sin and that God created man and woman to be together. You know, like the two pieces of the puzzle just don't fit. And my head began to spin with guilt. And soon enough, our parents found out and, you know, we couldn't see each other anymore. And when my parents sat me down and asked if I was gay, I denied it. But at that moment when I denied it, it felt so wrong inside to say those words out loud because it wasn't true to who I was. And then I guess I tried as hard as I could to be straight. So one time we went away on holiday and I remember meeting a boy who was interested in me. So I kind of led him on and we got into, you know, a quote unquote relationship. The poor guy was so excited. And I remember whenever he tried to kiss me, I would only allow him to hold my hand. And I used him to show him off to my parents. And I was like, look, I'm straight, you know. Anyway, looking back, the funny thing is that he was the most feminine boy I could ever have picked. He had long hair and such a feminine face. And, you know, I was trying my hardest, but, you know, looking back, I'm like, I just wanted to date girls and I was trying to find that in him. But as soon as we left on holiday, I broke it off. 
And then once again, I was stuck in turmoil. So, you know, I tried to push my feelings down. But the thing is, you can't push who you are away for very long before it catches up with you. And all of these emotions were inside me. I had fear. I felt disgust. I felt anger. And it became so bad that I got to a point where I decided that I was the problem. And some of the thoughts that ran through my head was, you know, I'm, I'm broken. I'm a disappointment. I'm sinful. I'm shameful. I'm going to hell. And I don't deserve to be here. And once again, I got into a headspace of suicide. I tried to do as much research as possible. So another approach that the church held towards curing homosexuality was that if you repented and didn't act on your sins, God would forgive you. But I was and very much still am a romantic and all my life, I had imagined a future where I was in a relationship, you know, just like in the movies. And I was happy. And like, you know, when they're, you know, they're sitting underneath the Eiffel Tower eating bread and cheese and they're just so in love. I wanted that so much and I wanted to fall in love. So why couldn't I be happy? And, you know, after wrestling with these thoughts for a while, I came to my own conclusion after, you know, many years at church, you know, I knew that the Bible said that God loved everyone and created everyone in a certain way and had a plan for everyone. And I was you know, wrestling with these thoughts. And I was like, I'm not going out of my way to sin. It's just who I am. And I've been this way my whole life. And, you know, looking back at a young age, there were all these little breadcrumbs clues that I have, I have been gay my whole life. I remember when I was younger, I had a crush on this character from Total Drama Island. And, you know, (laughs) that was a early 2000s show and I think it's still on and her name was Gwen I also had the biggest crush on Wednesday Adams and Kat from 10 things I hate about you (laughs) and you know I think at some points I had a bit of affection for my friends from a young age and you know it just it wasn't just a one-off I was made this way for a reason and you know I don't care what anyone else says, God loves me for who I am. I think, Sienna, what you're talking about here, you're not alone in this space and it's a very challenging space when if someone has grown up in a certain religion or with certain faith and there are aspects of that faith that challenge sexuality and then someone finds themselves in there, it does pose a question of what does this mean? Like, if I feel like I'm breaking rules or I feel like I'm doing something that's wrong or I feel like I shouldn't be this way, I mean, that's what's really challenging. I don't have the answers in that space. I don't, like, the world is changing and I think I'm very careful saying this on a you know international podcast, but I think religion needs to catch up. <laughs> like, you know, it's really 
difficult and it's about people having their faith and finding a way to live through faith and what that looks like. But when it has such a profound impact on someone individually like you're talking about here today, that's when it can be really challenging. Oh, it was so hard because no matter how much research I did, there were so many different approaches to this. It's you have to repent your sins because it's a sin. And then there was you can live being gay, but you have to be celibate or you can't be in a relationship. There's You can't be gay at all because it's a sin and you're going to hell. And to this day, I still have a bit of turmoil inside me. I'm like, I don't want to go to hell, <laughs> but I want to love who I love. And I remember there was, you know, there was this moment, you know, in the last year where I expressed that to someone who was really close to me. And she was just like, Sienna, you know, isn't God supposed to love everyone for who they are and look past, you know, all of those those sins? You're doing okay. You should be able to be in a relationship with who you love. You should be able to feel free and not trapped in a box. And, you know, you've got to create your own path. And so I have created my own path and that's kind of, you know, where I am today and you know slowly I began to accept myself and my personality began to shine through I love bright colors I like women I'm flamboyant I love being part of the queer community and having others who are going through similar situations who support me I love having an identity and I am proud of it and I just felt like a massive weight had been taken off my shoulders. And Sienna, you mentioned earlier about when you first started to be in a relation with someone that you guys ended up being pulled apart. When did you decide to come out and what did that look like? So I actually involuntarily came out. So I was forced out. The whole school found out about my sexuality. And I just remember walking past the locker bays and people talking about me behind my back. And I, I remember in year 10 at, you know, in the locker bays and people weren't comfortable with getting undressed around me. So I just had to go change in a toilet by myself. That would have been awful. Yeah, it wasn't very fun. And there are a lot of people who didn't accept me but you know I just I stuck my head up and I decided to own it and then I officially came out I officially came out to my friends so they knew about it but I wanted to say hey I'm gay I want to tell you about this myself this is my story and they embraced me with open arms and I'm so thankful for them they're so supportive of me And then the next step was to come out to my family. So I remember one night I called my mum and I was in tears because I just had this weight on my shoulders and I needed to get it out. I just said, mum, I like girls and this is who I am and I've liked girls for a while and I just haven't been able to tell you. And on the phone she was really supportive of me. And, you know, she was like, well, that's, that's my daughter and I love my daughter for who she is. I just felt so relieved. I was like, wow, you know, because my parents are Christian and usually in the Christian belief people don't 
really accept that. But, you know, the whole thing about Christianity is love and loving others. And my mum really embraced that. And I'm really thankful for her support. And what about your dad, Sienna? You said your mum, you phoned her. Did you tell your dad? Yeah. So a couple of days later, I sat down with my dad and broke the news to him. And he cried and it took him a while to kind of process it. And he's still going through his own processing. I just, I felt so free, which was something that I hadn't felt in a long time. And this little seed grew and it was nourished by self-acceptance and self-love. And, you know, later on for the year term formal, I brought a girl as my date, which, uh, was a first for my school that was pretty exciting and it sounds like when I'm listening to you tell your story that there was this dark cloud that kind of engulfed you around everything that happened with your mom trying to hide who you really were like without you even being able to stand up and shine your light you personally let alone others see it you couldn't even own that space yourself and As soon as it's almost like when you talk about that seed, it's almost like the earth started to crack a little bit and the seed started to come out. And then once it kind of poked its head, the sun was shining and you're able to blossom out. But the part that I'm wondering about when I listen to you talk is, you know, you're you're saying often how much everyone was there for you, but you kind of still had to walk that mile yourself. Like, you know, when I'm hearing you, I'm like, thinking how could we have helped you more? How could we have helped in that dark cloud moment? Or how could we have helped you find that little seed and that growth sooner? I'm, I don't, it sounds like you almost had to go through it yourself. Yeah, I think that's the thing, you know, with discovering yourself. And, you know, at such a young age, I found it really hard to open up. And, you know, I, I remember you know, just telling my parents, you don't understand, you don't understand what I'm going through. But it potentially was you that didn't understand, right? Like even though... I didn't, I had no idea. Yeah, like you wanted them to understand but you didn't understand either. Like that would have been hard for both of you, for everyone in that situation. It was so hard and, you know, I am, I'm still going through therapy, you know, with these things and I'm looking back and I'm going, I still don't know what was happening and... My trauma response at the time was to kind of push things away and I currently, you know, don't have all the pieces to the puzzle because my mind kind of wanted to protect me. So, you know, that's a, I think I really needed to unpack it in therapy and that's something I didn't do. I remember going to counsellors from a young age and I have seen many counsellors in my life. And I remember, you know, like in year six when my mum went into hospital and I went to go see a counsellor and, you know, we went through four or five sessions where I was, you know, I didn't open up and I was just like, I'm scared of the water. You know, that's my problem currently. I'm scared Mm. of the water. And so, so like, I remember like, it was just, I, I didn't open up and I found it so hard to open up. And I think, you know, only now, only now I'm opening up and I'm starting to that's when I'm starting to nourish. That's when I'm starting to grow. But back then, you know, I had to kind of ride the wave. 
Why um, is now different though? When you talk about being in the counselling room, is there something that could have looked different back then or was it a timing piece, an experience piece? Uh, I think because I know myself now and because I'm owning my mental illness, I want to get better. Mm. So there was a time when I didn't want to get better. Mm. And I, I know it sounds bad, but I didn't. I was just like I just want to stay in this little dark cloud forever. And so it's about this, you know, this little push inside you that comes with sometimes hearing other people's stories and and being like maybe I want to get there that's where I want to be and Mm. so in order to do that I've got to and it's hard you've got to do this yourself you've got to kind of push just I just imagine like kind of drowning in this pool and then you know like the the side of the pool and kind of pushing yourself up and getting out of it and you've got to do that and then you know then there's people who are there to support you once you get out Mm. it's like they can do all the yelling and all the directing from outside of the pool but only you can swim to the edge and get out yeah yeah exactly you've got to you need that drive and it's hard it is so hard to get there and Sometimes you can stay in that little area for years and that is okay. That's okay. But for me personally, I had to kind of find the drive to I want to live life. I don't want to stay in bed and stay in this kind of dark pit for the rest of my life. I want to go out there and have that picnic under the Eiffel Tower. I want to go out there and have that future where I am doing what I love and you know i'm that's what what i'm doing now i am discovering what i love and you know looking forward to the future and having that support there was really important and having my parents wanting to understand what i'm going through but it was also something a drive that i had to conceive myself face alone in a way This is a shout out to all the teachers, parents and principals that may be listening. We all know I'm a big advocate for improving your mental health, but how can you know when to act? PHM, otherwise known as Project Health Monitoring, provides a versatile, safe and secure digital platform that allows students a means to communicate current and emerging issues in real time. The platform provides educators with data to take targeted and timely action so that their students feel known, valued and cared for. PHM takes away the days of second guessing. With children increasingly connected via technology, the PHM approach allows students to initiate a conversation without having to raise their hands. Students need to feel connected and empowered by being directly engaged socially and emotionally. For a free project health check on your school, please click in the link provided in our show notes. This will enhance your students' well-being, performance and their academic outcomes. Now, back to the show. And there will be people listening to this that are like resonating so much with that dark cloud, the feeling like they're in a pool and they can't get it. Like there will be people that are hearing your story right now being like, how like I hear that you say I got to do it myself but what's the first step or 
what's one thing I can do right now or it all feels too hard? Like what advice do you have for someone that's truly in that moment right now? So there are little steps that you can take that take courage, they take bravery. Getting out of bed each day can be really hard. Going to work each day can be really hard. And, you know, having that drive to want to live can take a while to get. But for me, one of my tips for when I was in a suicidal moment, for when I couldn't imagine a future, was I would close my eyes and take a deep breath and I had this little world that I would go into. So in that world, I would create a future for myself that I wanted to live in. So that future would be I want to live in a little bookstore uh, above a bookstore and and working on a job that I love and you know being surrounded by people that I love and moving to Melbourne and just creating this little fantasy world in my head and something to live for just even picking a small thing to live for to keep going that really helped me and you know every other day I go into my head and I imagine this future and I'm excited for it and it was just like this little light that I just have to keep going through the darkness because there is going to be a future for me and I'm going to make that future myself and that future was there and I was going to get to it. So over the years I've collected different tricks and, and tools and some work for me and some don't. But it may sound weird, but I, I swear by it. When I have suicidal thoughts, thoughts of self-harm or my anxiety kicked in, I hold ice in my hands. And that temperature change can reset the brain. And I can focus on this pain in my hands, which, you know, it isn't bad. It's It's this sting and I just can focus on this one thing and it's just enough to notice it doesn't hurt you know that bad but it helps with sometimes when you have thoughts of self-harm that pain can get you out of your brain Mm. and you know but the problem with self-harm is that it stays with you for the rest of your life so this is, you know, another another trick that you can use without having to scar yourself. As well as, you know, using rubber bands that you can kind of flick. That little sense of pain can really kind of just help for a while to get you out of uh, a specific headspace. When I went into hospital, a couple of the things that I learned was opposite action. So when you're feeling down or you might be feeling anxious, you might be struggling to get out of bed, you can use the opposite action to what you're feeling. So it can be, you know, wanting to kind of just stay in bed, can be getting out and just doing a walk, going for a walk. Or when you're kind of stuck in your head and you're anxious, doing some colouring in or just you know, drinking some water. 
So I've just been so surprised at how these strategies work and kind of reset everything and just change that moment into something a little bit better. You know, self-awareness and self-help is really important. And I think, Sienna, what you're saying there is really important because we can get so focused on what's happening in the moment and how we're feeling, whether it be numb or too big, that sometimes those strategies seem they seem useless, right? It's like, how could that possibly help me with what I'm feeling right now? <laughs> you know, flicking a rubber band, how is that ever yep. going to help what I'm feeling right now in this moment? And I love hearing you talk about how you've seen these small little strategies and you named it. You said some of them work for you, some of them don't. Some of them will work this month and some of them will work next month. But it is about having that toolbox of strategies and trying them because they can work. If you find one that works for you, it can be a game changer. Yeah, no, 100%. And not everything is going to work. You know, I have had all of these different different strategies thrown at me and a lot of homework from counsellors. And a lot of the time I was just like, how is this going to help me? And mm. yeah, yeah, not everything will work, but in in that headspace, you are going to think, you know, this isn't going to help me. How will you know? How will it help me? And and you've just got to have that little voice in your head that says, maybe we'll give it a try and see how it feels. And sometimes I say that to people, like, what have you got to lose? Where you're at right now, you're saying to me that you can't see a way forwards and you don't know what that looks like. And I'm like, so what have we got to lose by trying something? Exactly. It's really, you know the small things that you can just try and when you're at rock bottom I don't think you can get much further down and so trying something that might be able to help you uh, to reach you know even a small goal such as you know having a good day today or feeling a little bit better than you did yesterday can really help. Or just getting out of bed, you know, like don't underestimate if you're wanting to stay in bed and you get up, like that's important and that's amazing and that's huge. And these small things add up over time. All of them add up over time. Sienna, we're coming to the end of the interview. And so I guess the question that sits there for me is what haven't I asked you? I know you said this, we're trying to fit this massive life into one hour and it's impossible but what haven't I asked you or what would you like the listeners to hear or know or understand more about or more of yeah so when I went through that really hard place when I was younger I you know I got told by a lot of counselors you know there's going to be a point in your life when you're not going to have depression anymore you're not going to have anxiety anymore and you know I was like okay, I just got over this and life is going to be so much better. I'm going to be okay. And suddenly I kind of dipped down and then the roller coaster went, you know, further down. And, you know, it wasn't the end. I had always thought in my mind that this is going to end. But, you know, for me, not not everyone, but for me, my mental illness is always going to be a part of my life. But, you know, after, you know, surviving year 12, that was a rough, rough time. It was another one of my dark places. And, 
it is a roller coaster ride. You know, you can get to the very bottom and then kind of just, okay, I'm through this, this is going to end. But it's really important to realize that mental illness doesn't always goes, go away. It comes and it goes and it's just important to learn to live with it and to learn that, you know, I am not my mental illness. I am not my mental illness, but there is going to be some hard parts in my life that I'm going to have to get through and there are going to be some highs in my life and I've got tools to be ready to combat that. And, you know, mental illness doesn't always end. You know, it's there, but you are not your mental illness. I am Sienna and I am strong and I am brave and I have I've been through a lot and I've come out of it and I have a personality and I am not depression. I am not my anxiety. I am not my PTSD or, you know, my my ADHD. I am Sienna. And by the sounds of it, you needed someone to let you know that the road could be bumpy. You know, for you, you didn't need to hear that one day things might be rosy. Life is not rosy. We are all through adversity in a whole lot of different ways. But what I'm hearing so strongly in you now is you're like, you know what? I've done that and I have a whole lot of strategies and tools that I have and a whole lot of knowledge and wisdom and smarts and strength that's come from that that I can take into the next adversity that I face, whatever that be, whether that be to do with mental illness, whether that be to be with a loved one or there's going to be so many challenges along the way, but you have so much expertise in this space now really and so many strategies that you can use there's going to be no problem that you can't solve Sienna like you may not know what how you're going to or what it's going to look like and I think it would have been important and it sounds like it's important for you to know that yes the road might still be bumpy but you can do it exactly and you know another important part of my recovery is being able to flip my mental illness around so I have been able to use my experiences to, you know, be able to help others. You know, I am now an advocate for mental illness. I use my social media as a a platform to help raise awareness and help, you know, break down that stigma. I have been on Beyond Blue rallies. Even, you know, on one of the Beyond Blue rallies, I won an award and, you know, the award was someone who epitomizes this person who recently died. So it, it was a prize given to someone who is soldiering on regardless of what is going on in his or her own life. And when I accepted the award, I made a speech on my story and it helped, you know, it was amazing because I was so accepted And I have found a community who understood me and who supported me and who genuinely cared about me. And, you know, I also ended up on the news raising awareness about, you know, about the rally and about Beyond Blue. And I find strength in being able to tell my story and to help other people. And, you know, I I think, you know, it's really important to be able to use your story and flip it around so that you know you have a new perspective on life and Sienna I just want to sit here in front of you and just say to you that you 
are so strong and so beautiful and so wise and so brave for coming on here and having this conversation today because it's not easy, you know. It's never easy going back and talking about your challenges. You have had some of the darkest of darkest moments and to think that you're sitting here and I can see you in the audience can't but to see you sitting here shining so brightly today gives so much hope and shows others that that flicker of light that you spoke about, that flicker that feels like it can go completely out is never out. It never goes out. You can still breathe into it and bring it alive and bring that flame into as big a flame as you want to in this world. And, you know, I just want to wish you the best as you step forwards into the future. Thank you so much, Ollie. That means a lot. And I think, yeah, that little child who was so free and who was so happy had that little candle inside me and now that candle has, you know, I've kind of grown into a phoenix and I've kind of risen and she's back, baby. Um, she's she's back. back, baby. <laughs> she's here and she's loving life. <laughs> yes. Before we finish up, I do just want to shout out to all those people who have supported me throughout the years. Now, my parents are the most supporting and loving and beautiful people and to be able to have that relationship with them again has just been so important to me. I also, you know, want to thank um, all the lovely friends that I've had in my life who have supported me no matter what and been there for me in my dark days. And now, you know, where you know we're all separated around, you know, New South Wales, but they're still here for me. Um, and you know, just to my grandparents who have also loved me no matter what and and my gorgeous, you know, grandmother who calls me every other day on the phone just tells me how amazing I am and and really, you know, I'll tell her different stories about different things and she'll just tell me how strong I am and I just it just makes me feel so so loved. And so thank you to all those lovely, beautiful people out there. I really appreciate you. Sienna, it's really beautiful to hear you talk about other people and to think and show gratitude to others because it'd be very easy not to. It'd be very easy to just be like, right, I'm feeling better. I'm going off in the wind. And, you know, so I just also want to say thank you to you for for doing that. Like that's really beautiful and it kind of shows the kind of person you are. And I love to finish the podcast with saying who or what in your world truly makes you belly laugh. Yeah, honestly, my grandmother, Grandma Rosemary, she always makes these funny remarks about, you know, well, I was like, I'm turning 20 and I'm so old. And she was like, well, if you're old, then how old am I? And I was just, I, she's hilarious. <laughs> well, do you want me to answer that, Grandma? <laughs> <laughs> so she's gorgeous. And, and my mom, she when she's, she gets in a funny mood, she makes pretty funny jokes and um, she makes me smile. So I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on today and sharing your story. And like we've said, if, it, if one person takes one thing away, it was worth us having this conversation today. Oh, definitely. I have loved being able to kind of open up. And Ali, you are such an amazing interviewer, like being able to draw different things out of me. And, you know, thank you so much for that. And thank you for giving me a platform to be able to express myself and to be able to share my story and 
you know, and yeah, having this just gorgeous, you know, voice to be able to talk to. And, and you have always been there for me since I met you. You've always been, you know, looking out for me. And thank you so much for that. And thanks for looking out for my family too. I hope you all took away as much as I did from that episode. I'm sure you could hear the moments that I actually didn't have any words. I forgot I was interviewing because I was hanging on to every word of Sienna's experience. If you are experiencing thoughts of self-harm or suicide, please call Lifeline on 13114 or reach out to someone for help. You do not need to walk this road alone. If you know someone who might benefit from this story, please share with them. Sienna, like so many of our guests, have opened their world up to help others. The best way we can do this is by sharing the episode with our loved ones or family if you think that's appropriate. I look forward to seeing you all next week and I hope you have a great few days. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.